today on the Beginner Photography Podcast. I, I opened a, a fine art photography gallery. So I featured some of my work and then I would bring in other photographers and, and that kind of thing. And that lasted uh, only about four years. And that was kind of in the middle. I was already doing some weddings at that point, but I, I started focusing on just selling the landscape. And it was it was a lot of fun. The downside is after we got to a certain level of, of you know, call it like financial success, I realized that I was spending 70 or 80 hours a week sitting in a gallery mm. uh, being a salesperson and wasn't spending any time as a photographer and almost zero time as uh, just someone who liked being outside. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 if you make it as a landscape photographer in some ways. It makes it really hard to spend time out in those landscapes. Hey guys, Raymond here from the Beginner Photography Podcast, and today we're talking with a photographer who is doing something that I don't think any other photographer is doing. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Beginner Photography Podcast with Raymond Hatfield. The podcast dedicated to interviewing world-class photographers to ask them the questions you want answered. Whether you want to be the world's best wedding photographer, family photographer, pet photographer, or you just want to take better photos of your kids growing up, we will get you to start taking better photos today. Here with you as always, husband, father, home brewer, L.A. Dodgers fan, and award-winning Indianapolis wedding photographer, Raymond Hatfield. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening into today's podcast. I'm super excited for today's episode. Uh, we're talking to a photographer who, again, is offering something that I don't think any other photographer is and uh, might be something to look into. Um, so we're definitely going to get into that. I, I talked about this last week is that we've started a Facebook group just for listeners of the podcast, and I would absolutely love for you to join. Once again, head over to the show notes of this episode, and I'm going to put a link to the brand new, and this is a private Facebook group. It's closed. If you search for it, you're not going to be able to find it. You have to go through the link um, for me to add you to the group, and it's really a spot for newer photographers to be able to ask questions and um, you know solve problems and share their wins that normally they wouldn't have anywhere else to do so um, without any sort of judgment or rudeness because there's a very strict 100% no, absolutely no rudeness policy and I'm going to strictly enforce that. Um, so I would love to see you in the group, say hey to other listeners and, you know, help help grow your photography, learn more. What's, you know, what's wrong with that? That's why you're listening to this podcast is to grow more. Why not also do it in a place where you already are anyway? And that's Facebook. So head over to the show notes again for this episode that's beginnerphotographypodcast.com. Anyway, all right, let us go ahead and get into today's episode. Like I mentioned earlier, it is with a photographer who is doing something that I don't think any other wedding photographer is doing, but I guarantee that you've heard of it before. It's really interesting. So that's it. Let's just go ahead and get into today's interview with Timothy Faust. Today's guest is a photographer with over 15 years of experience, starting out as an editorial photographer, shooting for publications like National Geographic. Colorado-based wedding photographer now, he has come up with a unique way to guarantee that his couples will love their photos, and I want to dive into it, but first, Tim Faust. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Tim. Uh, Raymond, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, I talked... A little bit about your start in photography. Can you fill me in even more in your beginnings of how you got started, I guess, as an editorial photographer? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I actually think um, I really got into it accidentally. I, I know a lot of people, you know, get into photography as kind of a, a hobby when they're younger and that kind of stuff. I was actually in my early 20s at the time. I was um, spending a summer as a raft guide in Georgia. And this was, you know, back in the late 90s, maybe early 2000-ish. I can't remember the exact year, but um, – We'd go whitewater rafting every day and there'd be people out in the river in kayaks and they'd be out photographing us and they'd take some pictures and then paddle on ahead and take some pictures and paddle on ahead and then um, they'd sell the photos to uh, to the, the, the guests on the boat, the tourists. And I thought it was really neat and I wanted to get into it. So I went down to a pawn shop in town, bought an SLR and a couple of lenses and then went down to the library and, and checked out a book on how to operate a camera because I had no <laughs> idea. Uh, like up until then, I just had like a little point and shoot. And obviously like that, you know, back back in the day, I mean, this was almost 20 years ago now. Um, point and shoots were pretty terrible when it came to like shutter lag. So you could try to take a picture of someone in a kayak going over a waterfall and you get the back end of their boat sticking out of the water because they've already like gone off the waterfall and have disappeared. So <laughs> You're not selling um, those photos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, yeah, I really should get a should get an SLR, but I had no idea how to use it. And that's that's kind of how it started. Um, got into it that way. And two, three years of, you know, using a, that camera to kind of photograph my, you know, quote unquote adventures, you know, traveling and, and kayaking and backpacking and that kind of stuff and suddenly i got the idea that it could be like a, a viable career option after a while i did upgrade cameras from the like the 1970s oh, i found for like 50 bucks but you know it's um that's kind of how it started and then i just kind of fell into it like pretty much by accident from there so how did it go from i'm gonna sell a few photos to some tourists like rafting down the river to working for larger publications like national geographic yeah, and again, that wasn't um, that was pretty accidental as well. Um, in my, excuse me, uh, in college, I was running like outdoor trips for for my uh, um, outdoor per- center there, and I would take pictures on the trips, and then those pictures would get used in publications, like s- partly for our brochures, but then the college would also use them, and that's kind of where I got the idea that there might be some way to kind of turn this into a little bit of a side job. And I think the, the real big carryover wasn't until I'm trying to think exactly how it worked out. I I ended up going out to to the Brooks Institute in California, which I think just closed in the last year, but um, went out there and took a few classes and thought it was like, I'm going to go back and get a second degree in photography and make this my career. And while I was out there, I, I ran into this uh, this couple, Dan and Janine Patitucci, which um, they had lived in California for a while, and they're they're big name. I mean, that's like the big time of the outdoor industry photography. They do all the stuff for like the North Face and Patagonia and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, they actually had dropped out of school to do this. Like they dropped out of <laughs> school. And I was like, you know, that's encouraging. Yeah, I was like, that's encouraging because I think. Uh, I don't really want to run out of photography school with even more student debt. So I kind of did the same thing and just started shooting. And just through sheer luck, I ended up photographing this uh, race out in Utah back in it's like 2005 or six um, called Primal Quest. And I ended up getting a very unique photo. I kind of saw where all the other photographers were headed and decided that if they were going that way, 
I should go the opposite direction because at least my photos will be different if nothing else. And went out and got this really cool photo of all these racers. Uh, it's like an adventure race, kind of like eco challenge, that kind of thing. All these racers on horseback running across the desert as a helicopter dropped down in front of me. And I got this helicopter like up in the uh, the foreground of the photo with all these racers in the background. And this happened right at sunrise. And they end up winning a couple of contests with this. And <laughs> it just happened to be at this event where the editor for National Geographic Traveler was there. And like everyone's trying to show him their photos and this kind of stuff. And somehow he saw mine and thought it was cool and we kind of built up a connection there and suddenly I got like a couple jobs from it, um, as a result of that. So it's just a bunch of very, uh, um, fortunate coincidences, I guess that kind of led into that. Yeah. Right. That sounds like my first reaction was like, Oh yeah. Right place at the right time. But exactly. Yeah. It's gotta be so much more than that because obviously, you know, you weren't just in the right place at the right time. You, you know, you made some smart decisions. You saw where other photographers were going. I don't want that exact same photo. I'm going to take a like a risk here and just see what happens. And obviously, it paid out for you. So it was it was obviously so much more than just right place at the right time. Well, yeah, I mean, I think so, and I think that's kind of been the the focus of my you know my career, my business, and my kind of philosophy of photography. Um, you know, especially I, I did a lot of landscape photography in the past, and I think as a landscape photographer, you're you're definitely drawn to duplicate what you see other photographers do. So, you know, everyone goes out to Yosemite and like if you've ever been out there in the winter, like I, I've, I went out there and shot with the black and white camera and tried to duplicate that famous Ansel Adams photo from from the tunnel overlook there of the storms clearing the, the valley. And I think that's cool. And I don't think there's anything necessarily bad about doing it. But if you're just duplicating what you see other photographers do, it doesn't really kind of elevate you, if that makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. So there's something to be said for just taking a risk and being a little different. So it's like, by all means, like I would never try to discourage a new photographer from doing that because I feel like it's a way that you learn technique and you do end up with cool photos. But if you want to take it to that next level, you really have to kind of, you know, put yourself out there and, and be comfortable taking a little bit of risk and doing something completely different. What would you say is the most um, what's the most um, risky shot that you've ever taken, I guess? Does that Ooh. make sense? Yeah. Oh, no, it does. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I'd have to think about that for a little bit. I, I don't, I don't know if I've necessarily go out of my way to like take, take a ton of risk. In fact, I have this idea, you know, especially now doing wedding photography, I have this, this idea that you, you, you can't just do those kind of photos, you know, in, in reality, when you shoot a wedding, there's a lot of people that are vested in it, not just the couple and not certainly not just me as a photographer, you know, so I'm not just shooting what I want to shoot. I'm not just shooting what the couple wants to shoot. I'm, I'm shooting what uncle Bob wants to see and what grandma and grandpa want to see and that kind of stuff. So <laughs> right. there's a lot of safe photos that involve, that are involved in weddings. Um, but then after you kind of get that safe shot, you'd be like, how can I make this, how can I basically in the same moment change it up a little bit to make it my own? And I think that's what I do a lot. You know, for example, I, I shot a wedding uh, like a year or so ago and this, the bride had this really, really pretty umbrella. And the first shot I got was just her kind of at sunset. It's illuminating her and it's just this really nice warm light on her. And it was it was safe. It was like a, a nice photo. 
And then I went and just without moving her, I ran around to the other side of her and shot through the umbrella and shot her silhouette from the sun, uh, kind of leaving her silhouette on the, the inside of the umbrella. Yeah. So it was, it was backlit. And I was like, that, that was shot was for me. So the first shot was for grandma and grandpa. The second shot was for me. So it's not necessarily taking a big risk because we've already gotten that established safe photo taken care of, like kind of check the box. And now I get to play a little bit. So I think that's to kind of answer your question without actually answering your question. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that definitely answered my question. I, I feel like there's a lot of times where um, when you're first starting out, you're trying to figure out poses or, you know, something like that. And where you're going to look is whatever's going to captivate your eye is going to be the most, you know, crazy shot, the most unique shot. But at the end of the day, it's still important to really take those safe shots and make sure that the couple is going to be happy with their photos before you kind of get this creative license to do whatever you want. Now, typically, obviously, they're going to love those artistic shots more, but um, it, it's all it all depends on the time that you have. So getting those safe shots is super important. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, when I when I first started out, maybe that that playtime was maybe five or 10 percent of my time. You know, I might shoot a wedding and I might take a thousand photos and maybe 20 of them were like, you know, my my interesting shots for me. Right. And now it's probably more like 60, 40, like I'm taking more photos for me because that's what my clients are looking for. I've, I've established a style. Um, but that that doesn't come on day one. You kind of have to ease into it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's incredible. That is so cool. Um, I'm going to kind of go off here. So I, I get a lot of questions from beginner photographers who say, like, people are asking me to take photos that I don't want to take. You know, they're asking me to take the photos that every other photographer takes. And here you are saying that, like, nope, these couples hire me for the photos that I take. How how did you or how would you suggest somebody makes that transition? Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step. And the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. Oh, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, it's it's a tough one, but I would suggest that you know, photography t- is always a balance about uh, uh, between humility and ego a little bit. You have to have a little <laughs> bit of both. Um, and sometimes we everyone gets asked to take photos that they don't necessarily want to take. I mean, that's that's if you're a wedding photographer, that's that's just part of the industry. My suggestion for new photographers is to not be resistant to that. Go for it. I mean, if that's if that's what your client wants, I mean, we're all paid pretty good amount of money. To be able to be part of these couples uh, days, if if uh, I would never say no to a client if they wanted something, right? Absolutely, I'm going to do that for them. Um, but the difference is, as I've grown as a photographer over the last decade and a half or so, I've kind of developed my own style. And it's not that 
I get out there and say, I'm only shooting this particular style. Like if you hire me, you get me and that's it. And you know, it's not like that. But what I do is when I'm putting images out, you know, on my portfolio, on my website and that stuff, I'm putting out the images that I like and people are hiring me because that's what they're seeing. So they're, they're hiring me like, Hey, we saw these photos on your website and we, that's what we want at, uh, at our wedding. So I don't get asked for as many of those things that I don't really like doing, if, if that makes sense. That's a great tip. I think a lot of people are going to love to hear that for sure, because nobody likes to be asked to do something that they don't want to do. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I kind of want to go back a little bit. You talked about um, early on, you started off as, you know, doing a lot of landscape photography. It really, you know, I'm guessing that it called your name shooting all these beautiful landscapes. Did you ever, I guess, like get paid? Was it like a like an like an everyday type? Was that like a main source of income for you was uh, landscape photography for a while? For a little bit. So I, I have this kind of weird background. I, I I was never really attracted to landscape photography. I was always attracted to just just being in those places. I love I love hiking and mountain biking and backpacking. Like if, if I can be outside traveling, like that's that's heaven for me. And taking pictures really just started as a way for me to share that with other people. Um, I actually had done – I kind of got into commercial photography and, and shooting stuff for magazines before I really started shooting stuff for me, if that makes sense. And it's yes. kind of a – a backwards way to get into it. It's, it's, it's pretty unusual. Like I, I fell into photography. It wasn't like a goal of mine to, to be a photographer. Um, so the, the idea of like just being out at a cool location when the light is great, some days I wouldn't even bother bringing the camera out. Um, cause I just, I just wanted to be out there and bringing, bringing all the gear with sometimes can be a distraction. But in 2000, seven now eight i i opened a a fine art photography gallery so i featured some of my work and then i would bring in other photographers and, and that kind of thing and that lasted uh only about four years and that was kind of in the middle i was already doing some weddings at that point but i, I started focusing on just selling the landscape and it was it was a lot of fun the the downside is after we got to a certain level of of you know call it like financial success I realized that I was spending 70 or 80 hours a week sitting in a gallery, hmm. uh, being a salesperson and wasn't spending any time as a photographer and almost zero time as, uh, just someone who liked being outside. So it's kind of a, a catch 22. If you make it as a landscape photographer in some ways, it makes it really hard to spend time out in those landscapes, which was the whole so, reason you know, why you started it. Exactly. And then that's kind of where I was like, you know, if I switch gears and focus on weddings and portraits, um, I still have a, you know, intellectually and creatively uh, rewarding job and I still get to spend out time outside. There you go. So were you mainly selling your landscape photos to individual buyers or were they publications or, or anything like that? Um, so the, there's kind of two sides of it. So the landscape side was almost entirely to individual buyers. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and, but I mean, there just isn't a huge market for that. I mean, if you flip through any like big magazine, I mean, unless it's a photography magazine, you're not seeing a lot of landscape photography in there, even in like, you know, the real iconic publications like National Geographic and that kind of stuff. Um, you tend to see it's it's more photos of people. 
And uh, I did a lot of that. And so the people photography that I was able to sell to publications and that kind of thing more than, you know, pure, excuse me, pure landscapes. Hey, Raymond here, and we will get back to today's show in just a moment. You know, for the past several years, I have paid for an expensive, far too expensive album design software that I didn't even love because, well, there was no other choice, to be honest. And then one day I got an email from CloudSpot, which is my client gallery system, announcing that they built an album builder in to their gallery software. What? Now, myself or my clients can build a beautiful album and have it shipped right to them. And on top of all that, this feature is included for free. Now, after building a few albums to test it out, I canceled my expensive, dedicated album software membership right away, and I have not looked back. CloudSpot is built by photographers for photographers, and they listen to their customers to improve their service all the time. You can join the CloudSpot family by learning more and signing up over at deliverphotos.com today. You can even build albums with a free account. How awesome is that? So sign up now over at deliverphotos.com. Now, let's go ahead and get on back to today's interview. I guess what I was trying to get at was um, a lot of people do wonder about landscapes. A lot of people just that's where their passion is. Like you said, you know, they love spending time outdoors. Hey, if I bring my camera, it'd be awesome if I got a cool shot or two. And then after a while, people start to wonder, I wonder if I can make a few dollars out of this, you know, but it's interesting to hear that, you know, out of major publications, it, it, it can be very hard to just sell landscapes. So selling it to individuals is probably the best route to go. Yeah. You know, in, in reality, you know, if you think about it, most photographers could probably name you know, no more than four or five landscape photographers that they really admire. And those are probably the four or five that are making a living at it. Right. Or you know, dead. It's, it's, yeah. Or dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not an easy, um, it's not an easy field to make a living at. And I think if, if that's your goal, you know, it's not enough to be in the top 5%. You need to be in the top, you know, five tenths of, one percent. Oh, geez. I mean, you really got to be like one in ten thousand, right? Um, to be to be kind of making money as a landscape photographer because they're just frankly very they're few and far between. Um, and most of the big landscape photographers you've probably heard of ha- are, are doing it as a second career for the most part. You know, they've they've had some kind of career in you know investment banking or something and then decided in their 50s they want to be a landscape photographer so <laughs> and suddenly they have the time and the capital to just say ah, if it doesn't work it doesn't work and just hope for the best well, exactly and you know what and i don't i don't I, if you're if you're into landscape photography and you like being outside like just you, you just got to appreciate that for for what it is like you know be a, be a great artist and and spend time in the outdoors but when you try to commercialize that, that's pretty, that's pretty tough. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So can you kind of walk me through, you said that, uh, by the time that you had opened up your fine art gallery, you were already kind of shooting some weddings. Uh, you want to talk me through the transition of how you went from shooting landscapes to getting into weddings. There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save 
$300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear, like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com and... As a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. Yeah, that's all right. So that's actually a pretty simple one. Um, <laughs> it happened when I, I, I started in Illinois. Uh, that's where I grew up. And then I moved to Colorado in it's about 2004. And I'd never considered myself as a wedding photographer. I never even cons- like thought about the idea, because growing up in Illinois, weddings meant uh, you get married in a church and then have a reception in either the church basement, basement, a uh, stuffy reception hall, or some poorly lit restaurant. I mean, that that, <laughs> that was the formula, right? Um, coming out to Colorado, it was totally different. Like outdoor weddings, like people out here are just they seem to be a lot more creative. Um, things were outside and I got to incorporate that, that landscape photography that I enjoyed into, uh, into weddings. Um, so I went from thinking, I had one idea about what wedding photography was. Then when I came out here, I realized it could be something completely different. And, uh, that was, that was pretty much the, the transition. Once I realized that I could shoot weddings and not be cooped up inside all day. (laughs) <laughs> then, uh, then I got kind of really excited about the idea. And since then I have just done such cool weddings where people are skiing. Um, I've done weddings that were like mountain bike themed. Uh, I just photographed one a, a couple weeks ago. They got married, um, in Beaver Creek at the, the ski area. Um, and it was, everything was just covered in fresh snow and there was the stream running through where they got married. So it's like, uh, little waterfalls in between boulders and stuff like right at their, their wedding site. So, oh wow. Uh, yeah, so it's this, it, it totally blew my mind about what wedding photography uh, could be. <laughs> so where, where did the first wedding come from? Did you start actively marketing for weddings once you moved to Colorado and saw how beautiful it was? Or did somebody come to you and ask? No, no. I, I think I start the way like most wedding photographers do. It's like you got a friend that's getting married and uh, they don't have much of a budget. And they're like, hey, can you photograph my wedding? And I was like, ah, I will probably screw the whole thing up because I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. I've never photographed a wedding before. And they're like, well, we're, we're not paying you. So that's OK. And I was like, oh, well, that's a good point. I mean, I guess you're going to get what you pay for. So um, <laughs> so honestly, like the first wedding I photographed was a friend's. Um, I just shot it for him. And I was like, you know. It's like you probably should hire someone who knows what they're doing, but I'd be happy to like, you know, shoot. And they, they uh, ended up just going with me and I shot it for him and, you know, gave him, you know, CD. We were using CDs way back in the day. Um, <laughs> and then like the next time a friend got married, I think I, I he paid me like a hundred bucks. And I by the after a year, I had shot like four weddings and I was up to like five hundred dollars, which was like, you know, great money when you're first starting out. Um and then after like a year or two of that, of kind of doing this on the side, then it started to get a little bit more serious and I started to consider it as a, you know, as a legit form of business, I guess. That is hilarious. What did you 
have in mind for that first wedding? Did you try to research past weddings or how they're shot? Or did you just say, we're doing this however I think this should be done. We're going to see what happens. Um, you know, it's, it was an Illinois wedding, so it's like pretty routine by the books. Um, and I remember, you know, I had just gotten married, I think, maybe a year or two prior. So I just trying to think of what our photographer had done and basically just try to emulate that. And I mean, in all honesty, that first wedding, I, all I was hoping was I could get photos that were, you know, properly exposed and in focus. <laughs> I didn't have any grand ideas about, uh, you know, we're going to create these like amazing artistic shots. I think we did get a couple that were that were pretty nice. But, uh, you know, mainly just, hey, if we can get if exposure and focus let's just nail that and we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> we'll, we'll go from there so how long ago was that would you say how many years ago let's see he's got kids in high school now so <laughs> it has to be it's got to be pushing about 15 15 16 years okay so you've been shooting weddings for a long time yeah relatively speaking yeah okay so when i found you the way that i found your website is you had a page that says that you offer something that I don't think I've never seen another wedding photographer offer this, but everybody's heard of this, the 100% money back guarantee. And the second that I saw that, I thought either one, this guy is super confident in his work, or two, this guy's just waiting to go out of business, right? <laughs> the more that I looked at your work, the more that I looked into your photos, I thought, well, this guy knows his photography. He clearly has some idea of what he's doing. I got to talk to him. So you have to tell me, where did this idea to offer 100% money back guarantee come from? Because I love it. I love it. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. So funny thing, I, I actually uh, stole this idea from a retail business. Um, so I don't know if you've ever heard of REI. They're like an outdoor store and of like course. I'm really involved in the outdoors. And for the last like 80 years, they had this. And I don't know. I think it, they might have uh, toned it back uh, a little bit, but they've had um, – they're famous for their very liberal return policy. The idea that if you're not completely happy with something you bought there, they'll they'll give you a refund or, or at least you know, 100 percent satisfaction guaranteed. So maybe it's a store credit or repair or replace the product or whatever it was. But I, you know, I got to thinking about that and I was like, wow. I was like, so there's this company that is so confident that if they sell you a pair of socks – that you don't like, they'll they'll give you your money back. And yet here is an industry with wedding photography. I mean, we are charging couples thousands of dollars on to photograph one of the most important days of their life. I mean, it's it's for most of my clients, like their photography budget is like the single biggest line out line item on their their wedding budget. Especially with having more outdoor weddings. Well yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm thinking it's like it's so funny that a retail store can make such a you know, kind of impressive guarantee. But as wedding photographers, you know, we're, we don't offer something like that to our clients. And I, I started thinking about that and then wondering what would happen if I had a client that was like, that was truly upset with their photography. You know, what would happen if someone came back to me um, and knock on wood, it hasn't happened yet. But what if someone came up to me as like, you know, we saw we got our wedding photos and we just didn't like them. And I wouldn't want them to have to pay for that. You know, it's it seems to me that it's like, being like, hey, you know, if you don't like it, why are you paying me all this money? And it, it, it almost seemed weird that no – I mean I had I had never found another photographer that was doing an offer like this. And it almost seemed weird to me that no one else was. Yes. Because we are asking couples 
to trust us to, you know, capture one of the most important days in their lives. And they're, they're get, extending us a ton of trust. I mean, most, you know, my clients pay in advance. Um, they, they, um, put down a down payment and then they pay the balance like before their wedding. So I have all their money, uh, and they, they're counting on me to deliver photos that, that take their breath away. And I was like, well, what, what guarantee can I give them? You know, I'm asking them to give me all this trust and, and I wanted to have something in place so that I'm, I can extend the same thing to them. They're trusting me. I want them to, you know, sh- I want to show them that I trust them too, if that makes sense. So do you, this is this is incredible. That is so important too. Just like you said, the trust that you have between you and your couples is so important because you oftentimes, I tell my brides this, and you know, n- nobody ever thinks about it until the words are said, but it's like, I might be with you on your wedding day more than you will your new husband, right? So Absolutely, right? I'm going to be spending that time with you. I'm going to be spending time with like the people who you're inviting to your wedding are your closest friends and family so that you feel most comfortable on your wedding day. And this stranger, <laughs> right? The photographer. So anything that you can do to build that trust is going to just make your photos so much better. And I've often thought about this. How can I build more trust? What can I do to build more trust? And the 100% money back guarantee is genius. But I think we're people, now just playing devil's advocate here, people's, people are photographers, they're going to get worried, right? Because if they're REI, you look at REI, hundreds of thousands of employees, thousands and thousands of products, very much lower cost. Somebody repairs, returns some socks, no big deal to their bottom line. So were you worried before you implemented this that, you're going to go broke and out of business and have to sell your house and just give up. No, no. Well, I, I, there, there, of course there is a little bit of fear. I mean, it de- definitely felt like, like a risk, but I wasn't worried that I was going to go broke and, you know, I have to sell the house <laughs> and that, I mean, honestly, when I put this in, I was like, well, worst case scenario, everyone this year tells me, uh, they hate their photos and I give them all their money back and, I'm out of business. But then again, if ev- <laughs> but if just say that so lightly. Like, well, worst case, I go if, broke. I'm out of business. <laughs> but yeah, but if if everybody hates their photos, I should be out of business. I mean, I shouldn't be in business. That's if a my, very good point. If my clients all hate their photos <laughs> like that, that's you know, that's that's kind of the other way to look at it, and that's where that trust thing comes from. It's like, um, yeah, no, no. But I mean, in all honesty, yeah, there there was some you know trepidation of of what happens if people try to take advantage of this. Um, so I mean, I did set in or you know create some kind of you know fine print and fail safes to it and that kind of thing. So it's not like they can um, get all their photos and get like their their digital downloads and their album and a bunch of prints and then decide they want their money back. So they do have to make that decision when they look at the initial proofs. Um, so it's at least I'm not like on the hook for, you know, my uh, five or $600 album from, from a polka, uh, you know, and then, and then have them tell me they want their money back. Or like um, five years later, <laughs> you know what, actually we decided that we don't like yeah. your wedding photography. <laughs> yeah. So I thought about that. So, I mean, there, but there is like, yeah, there's a little bit of risk, but there's, there's ways to mitigate it. But everything I kind of did was built on the idea that if they're genuinely not happy with the work that I did, I don't want them to have to pay for it. I think that's just, um, 
maybe that's bad business, but I think it's it's being a, a decent person, if that makes sense. I think it's totally fair. I think that it's definitely being a decent person, for sure. Uh, do you do any sort of, like, screening process? Because technically, I mean, anybody could come up to you and say, hey, I want your wedding photography, knowing that they would immediately, you know, just say, ah, we didn't like it, give us our money back. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm feeling... No, now that you said that, now you got me worried. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I, no, I mean, there's not much of a screening process. And, you know, honestly, yeah, I could imagine some people, you know, there, you could imagine a situation where someone might come up and they're going to, you know, uh, give, give you the money and then, yeah, screenshot all the images off the proof, proof site so they have a copy of everything and then ask for their money back. Um, and you know, if that happened, I, I mean, I guess I would, I would still give them their money back. I'd be a little disappointed and might have to rethink this, but, um, I've been doing it now for two or three years. And I didn't start off it. this way. No, no, it, it's never, it's never come up, but I imagine it could. Um, but again, it's kind of that trust thing we were talking about. It's, um, I, I generally trust that most people are good people and would never go out to like intentionally scam someone. Um, I think that's the best way to look at society and that just the whole human race. It's the best way to just kind of uh, go about your life too, right? Just kind of assume that everybody has the best intentions in mind. And then if something else comes up, then you just deal with it then. Would you say that the majority of your weddings that you shoot are destination weddings or are they local couples to you? Um, It's about – no, I don't. I can't. Even, I'm trying to think of a price. So we, I basically have three three types of of, of clients. I have the full on destination wedding, um, and that could be here uh, in in Colorado, or it could be me going someplace else. Like I shot some weddings in Hawaii last year, Illinois. We're talking about doing one out on the East Coast uh, this summer. So those are like the you know kind of the legit full on destination weddings. And then we've got a lot of folks that come up from Denver, which is about uh, 100 miles from here. It's down in the, the – we call it the front range, the plains there. And they'll come up into the mountains for a wedding. And then we've got the um, – so it's like kind of a destination wedding. But I mean okay. they're not going across the world. And then we've got people that like live here. And I'm trying to think what the percentages are. It's probably – it's probably about a third, third, third. I, I guess uh, where I was getting at was um, do you get a chance to meet most of your couples before you photograph them so that you can get an idea of of their intentions? Gotcha. I, and I don't. Uh, no, and they don't get a chance to meet me either. So I kind of look at it as, again, uh, I, I don't have a studio space anymore because I'm mostly focused on destination weddings. So if people do want to meet me, we, we just grab coffee at like a coffee shop or go out to a bar or something like that. Um, so I don't have that, uh, you know, quote, quote unquote, legitimacy of a storefront, like a brick and mortar store. So, and I'm not a very cheap photographer up here either. So I'm asking people to put a lot of faith in me. And this is just that one little way that I can try to you know return that i love that i love that whole philosophy uh I, i've <laughs> i've thought about doing the 100 percent money back guarantee um for a long time but i think it's just that uh, i don't know that you know it's it just it's just scary to, to think about but it, it's really good to hear uh from a photographer who has done it for a few years and uh you know, luckily hasn't had any issues yet. And like you said, I mean, if everybody comes back and claims it, well, then maybe you shouldn't be in business anyway. So that's a great way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, on your website, this is kind of unrelated. On your website, you list all your gear, so we don't have to go into that too much. But you do list that you have a uh, an inf- a infrared converted 20D, which yeah. I think is super cool. But it's it for people who don't know, um, it, like in a camera, there is. Um, the filter that lets all the colors come through, all the light colors come through. And when you convert a camera to infrared, it only allows infrared light to come through, which is great for, um, like, astrophotography. Is that is that the main use for it? Um, a variety of different stuff. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's good for astrophotography. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. It's probably got other, like, scientific uses. <laughs> yes. I just think... I mean, I'm sure there's like like legit uses for it. I just think it looks cool. It, it does. Um, it, it, I see it for a lot of landscape photos, right? It makes mm-hmm. beautiful, very contrasty skies and trees are like white for some reason. And they're just incredible. And I want to know, how are you using this thing at weddings? Like, do, do you ever think um, before a wedding, like, oh, I know exactly what shot I want to get with a 20D? I do, actually. Uh, if, I, if I know the venue pretty well. Um you know, and it depends because it doesn't work very well in the winter because the snow comes out black. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> it comes out it comes out a little weird. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, if I know I'm going to be in a situation where it's I'm going to have some green grass and blue skies to deal with, maybe some clouds, like I'll bring that out and get four or five shots on that. I don't do it at every single wedding. Um, it really depends, uh, especially with destination weddings because I'm limited with how much gear I can carry. But if I have room for it, I, I bring that and sometimes I'll do a couple shots and they don't come out because it's really unpredictable how, how that's going to look. But um, I, I think it's cool. I, I've got maybe a couple dozen photos with that camera that have just been like like award winners, like really cool, which is funny because that camera is now – man, it's got to be over a decade old. Oh, yeah. The 20D? It, yeah. It, I, oh, yeah. I think eight, it came eight out. Eight megapixels. Yeah forever ago i feel like the little one and a half inch screen <laughs> oh yeah it's so funny it's like wow it's like this reminds me of using like a flip phone back in the 90s <laughs> you know, it's like this tiny little potion stamp side screen on there so when you say that the snow turns out black is that i guess do wedding dresses turn out black and does it have to do with the color or or light reflectancy well, i'm not even sure yeah well two things if anything gives off a little bit of heat it's going to look brighter in there um so that's why like blue skies look so dark that blue sky you're getting a lot of um it's blue because you're kind of scattering the the light and the atmosphere into like the kind of the blue and ultraviolet spectrum but so it gets really dark in the infrared end of things well i'm gonna have to check that out that sounds like a ton of fun but like you said unpredictable and you know high risk high reward and that that's definitely my motto and that sounds exactly right right up infrared's alley (laughs) Knowing what you know now, what is one thing that you wish you knew about photography sooner? From the artistic side, I wish when I first started, I just had a better understanding of lighting. And I don't I don't mean like high end, you know, lighting, like bringing out the strobe kits and all that stuff. I just mean like the directionality and the shape and how different types of light can affect people differently. You know, I was probably shooting weddings for two or three years before someone told me to, you know, if you have a a single light source, put, you know, and you have like a a bride and groom, put the groom in between the bride and the light so that the light is kind of shining into the bride's face. Like, and now it's like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it's it's second nature. But I was like, wow, that would have made a lot of my photos a lot better. Um, But, you know, little things like that, just understanding lighting and directionality, I think would have just been 
made my days a lot easier. How would you recommend people starting out go ahead and learn about lighting? Um, well, nowadays, which we didn't have when I was starting, I mean, you have things like YouTube and, and like podcasts like yours. Um, so there's just so many like cool resources out there. There's still something to be said for picking up a book on art starting in, you know, 15, 1600s and just understanding classical portrait lighting. Um, it really hasn't changed much in 500 years. I mean, it's good lighting is good light. I mean, that's why we still have the Rembrandt technique, right? Well, it's- exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Rembrandt lighting. Um, I mean, I still use that, especially especially for, for my like male subjects. I mean, it's just such an easy classical lighting technique and it looks so good. Always looks so good. Always looks so good. Well, Tim, I, I really want to be conscious of your time, so I don't want to take up too much. Can you tell the listeners anywhere where they can find you online? Uh, sure. I'm on uh, all the usual stuff. I'm on, uh, I've got my own website, timothyfaust.com. I've got uh, Facebook. Uh, t- I think it's just facebook.com slash Timothy Faust photography, probably. Uh, Instagram, all the all the usual uh, sub- or usual suspects there. Well, I will be sure to list all of your social channels in the show notes so that if anybody wants to check you out, they can check them out there and not have to pull over on the side of the road right now and start writing this stuff down so that they can go for it. Oh, you know what? I, before we leave, I noticed on your website you talked a little bit about um, offering workshops as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about that if uh, just in case any of the listeners are interested? Yeah, I do do uh, a few workshops. I, <clears throat> I used to do a lot more. Um, these days I do maybe one a year. Um, and as, uh, we haven't set anything up for 2017 yet, but uh, I teach photography at the, the local college here. And I, before being a photographer, I was a high school teacher. So teaching is kind of a, kind of a secondary passion of mine. So um, I do like to offer workshops maybe once a year, give or take. And do you do those and local or do you travel for those? Or It depends. We try to come up with something new every year and change it up a bit. So we've done them in Utah. We've done them locally here, um, but mainly, you know, kind of Colorado, Wyoming, Utah area. So if anybody's interested, they're just going to have to keep an eye out on the website and just keep checking back. Sign up for our newsletter. (laughs) What did you guys think about that episode? Holy cow. When I first found Timothy and saw that he was giving a 100% money back guarantee, it blew my mind, right? But really, is that such a bad idea? I mean, if if you're confident in your photography, you're confident in your workflows, you're confident in the service that you provide, why is that so bad, right? Like, if you're not offering a 100% money back guarantee, maybe you just don't have the confidence in yourself, right? Sure, Maybe some people, you know, you're thinking might take advantage of you, but for a huge, huge purchase like wedding photography is, or even, you know, it could work better for family photography. If you deliver a service that they're, that, you know, anybody is going to want to talk about, there's no way that they're going to ask for their money back because they're truly going to enjoy your services. And that's it. That's, that's what Timothy said, right? So... Let me know if you're thinking about, you know, trying to work that in somehow, trying to figure out what you could do into your business to increase leads or improve the amount of trust that your clients have in you. I would love to hear about it. Again, head over to beginnerphotographypodcast.com, check out the show notes for this episode, and you know what? I'm going to add Timothy to the uh, brand new Facebook group. So all that you got to do is you click on the link to join the Facebook group, and then you can ask Timothy your questions there. 
I'm sure that he's going to be more than happy to help out and answer any questions that you have. So guys, again, check that out. That's at beginnerphotographypodcast.com, the show notes. I can't wait to see you guys there. And that's it. Until next week, keep shooting and just go out, have some fun. Later. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Beginner Photography Podcast. Be sure to join the conversations on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want any links or resources we talked about in today's episode, check out the show notes at beginnerphotographypodcast.com. See you again next week.